0: I was a youth pastor for seven years with my dad. We served together. It was amazing. Uh, And for the past two years, my wife and I and our boys have been traveling all around Southern California, partnering with churches as missionaries. Missionaries to what I would argue is the greatest mission field in the world, the junior high and high school campuses in our backyard. Because that's the thing right i think missions is this thing that we think of as going on a plane and traveling across the world and, and going to some some tribe or unreached people group and telling them about the good news of jesus christ and it is that but we lose sight of the mission field and the mission that we have in our lives today really that's what i want to talk about this morning because in my own life as a follower of christ and and, and as a pastor i feel like there have been so many times when I have settled for survival. You understand what I'm saying? As a Christian growing up, I remember just making it my goal to not be like everybody else. I felt like that—that was—that was, they took everything within me to just not be like my friends who weren't serving Christ. And, and I think I carried that even into my time as a youth pastor, if I can be honest and vulnerable with you guys today. My metric of success as a youth pastor was if I could just get kids into my youth ministry, have them have an encounter with God, go to a camp, go to a conference, have an encounter with Jesus, and then just try my hardest to keep them from going to the party that weekend. My metric for success as a youth pastor was if I could just get you to not use that substance, if I could get you to just not be in that bad relationship. I'm a good youth pastor if I could get you through my youth ministry and you're not pregnant. And I think if we're being honest, that's not just something we see in youth ministry. I think that's how a lot of us live our lives. We're settling for survival. We come in to churches and and really we, we treat it like a gas station. We're just trying to fill up for the week so that we can get through everything that we have to get through. But I'm here today to tell you that God is wanting to do so much more than help you to survive. God is ready to see a generation of young people, but here's what I'm telling you, already across Southern California and in Terre Haute, Indiana, there is a generation of young people saying, yeah, God, I don't wanna just survive. I wanna do more, I wanna, I wanna be used by you. I don't have it all figured out. I'm broken, I'm not perfect, but use me. You have a decision today, Remnant Church, whether you're gonna sit on the sidelines and cheer them on and say, yeah, reach your mission field, your junior high and your high school, or whether you realize that there's a mission field that you have as well, it's called your home. It's called your workplace. It's called where you're going to go have lunch later today, that we as Christians are called to do more than just survive. God has called us to thrive. We serve a God that doesn't want to just save us. He wants to use us. And all he's looking for us to do is just be available. So that's what I want to preach about this morning. I want to talk about a a, a story in Scripture where we see three young people. I I got a bias, all right? I'm a youth guy. I'm always going to preach about young people because I believe in the next generation. And I love that not only I believe in the next generation, but God believes in the next generation as well. And all throughout Scripture, we see a God take young people who are available and willing and use them to do great and mighty things. But you know what? I I preached last week at my dad's church in California uh, about Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. And that's two older people. And, and, And actually, this past year, I've got to speak at a lot of different youth ministries, basically a different youth group every week, traveling all up and down Southern California. But I get to go to some churches too. And this year, I got to go to a church in a retirement community. So it was a retirement church. It was all retired people. It was in the retirement home and they were having church. And I spoke to them. And I'll just tell you this: if I didn't have a church I was already plugged into, I'd go attend their church. For starters, they sit down for all the worship and like nobody's judging you about it, okay? It's a necessity there. And and I love it, but there, there's also I noticed a lot of similarities between youth church and retirement church. Sam. You're going you to know what I'm talking about. Youth Church and Retirement Church is a church for a specific people group, right? Also, both groups of people are very specific about their music, right? Both the style and the volume, okay? Here, I'm on to something. Hear me out. They, they both have very distinct senses of style as well, and they would judge each other's choices on what they're wearing, Okay? Also, it is the only type of church that you would hear about somebody injuring themselves and not really think twice about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like at youth church, you hear someone broke their arm and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Different reasons, right? At youth church, they were probably skateboarding or doing something like that. At retirement church, they were like standing up. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I'm on to something here. I'll, I'll just say one more. Youth church and retirement church, it is a pretty big deal if you drive yourself there. If you have your license and you can drive yourself, you're kind of like, hey, look at me, you know? But my, my point is, God, this is, this is why I bring this up, though. God sees young people and old people all throughout Scripture, two groups of people that are largely overlooked by society. Because society has this idea that you're only, uh, you're only really able to be used from this One stage of life. And so society say, you're too young, you're too old. God says, as long as there is breath in your lungs, I I, I say this because I don't want you to think just because I I work with young people that that this is just a day about young people. I'm telling you, I don't care how, how young you are or how old you are, if there is breath in your lungs. God desires to use you today, and there is a mission on your life, and there is a mission field for you to reach. And so I want to look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're probably uh, somewhat familiar. You could turn there. Uh, for sake of time, I'm going to give you the Elliot Bland version of this story, okay? I'm going to give you an overview, a reminder. You could go back and read it later, but Daniel 3 tells the story of Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego, three young Jewish boys who were captives in Babylon. They were taken from their home in Jerusalem, and they are now captives in a place called Babylon. And while they're there, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, issues a decree that at a certain time of day, there was going to be these instruments that would play, and it would serve as an alarm that everybody, man, woman, young, old, slave, free, would stop what they were doing and bow and worship this giant statue That the king had built right now here's the thing we don't know exactly what this statue was of right some scholars and theologians believe it was of King Nebuchadnezzar himself others think it was of one of the gods of Babylon listen for all we know it could have been a giant chocolate bunny. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I I didn't get a lot of laughs, but I didn't need a lot of laughs. That's a VeggieTales joke, okay? That's how I separate the room and figure out where my church kids are at, okay? Because I'm a church kid. I'm a pastor's kid. Bro, the first time I ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was from a talking cucumber and tomato, all right? Listen, some of you guys were watching SpongeBob. I was watching VeggieTales. I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you, dude. Like, Listen. But here's the point. We don't know if it was of the king or of one of the gods, but here's what we do know about that statue. It may have had eyes, but it couldn't see. It might have had ears, but it couldn't hear. It may have had a mouth, but it couldn't speak. It was man-made, and it had no ability to bless you or to curse you. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we won't bow to that idol because it's fake. It's man-made, and on top of that, our God has called us to not bow to any other idols. And so they stand. Now here's where the story gets interesting. Because again, this was a decree. It wasn't optional. And there was punishment for disobeying the decree. We all know what it was, being thrown into a furnace. And so there are these guys called the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are the worst of the worst. Nobody likes the Chaldeans. Me and my homies, we don't mess with the Chaldeans, right? Because the Chaldeans go and they tell on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They see that they stood and they did not bow. And they go and they tell the king. And now the king brings them in because the king liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak on that in just a second. But the king liked them, so he gives them another chance. He says, well, "We're gonna play the music again. He's gonna give you a, an opportunity. Just bow, just bow. Everybody else is doing it. You don't have to mean it. Just bow." But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand. And now the king is getting upset. Because now they're testing his authority. And so he orders that the furnace be turned up seven times hotter than it was before. For no reason. Just intimidation. And so he orders that the furnace be turned up seven times hotter. He says, we're going to play the music again. And you guys are going to bow. Or I will throw you into that furnace. And he asks him a question. He says, then what, God, will save you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, be it known to you, O king. The God that we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow and worship the idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say we would rather stand what we believe in and end up in a furnace then, then bow to this idol and live a life that isn't worth living and so he says okay and he orders them tied up and thrown into the furnace and and the bible says it was so hot that the the soldiers who worked for the king they'd grown up in babylon their whole life they died just being close to the furnace and so he throws the boys in and he's expecting to hear them screaming in pain to smell the the burning flesh Right. That's not in the veggie tale version, but that's what happens when you throw people into furnaces and none of that's happening. So the king, he's confused. He's perplexed. He looks into the furnace and he begins to count. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And he's turning to people next to him. He says, guys, did we not throw three men tied up into this furnace? Say, yeah, king, we just did it. says I don't know what's going on I see four men unbound and the fourth looks like the son of God and he says bring them out of the furnace and the Bible says that as they brought Shadrach Meshach and Abednego out of the furnace they didn't even smell like a bonfire we've been out at the lake we've been having a fire go the, the last few days and it's just blowing into us we all smell like bonfire all the time and I love it but they didn't even smell like smoke the only thing that burnt off of them was the ropes that were binding them and King Nebuchadnezzar is forced, whether he liked it or not, he's forced to recognize the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and issue a new decree across the land. I love this story because it's about three young men who stood for what they believed in, in a culture that was in opposition to what they believed. And a kingdom was impacted because of it. And in this story, I think we see a few principles that can help us. If you are here today and you say, yeah, I want to do more than just survive. I'm sick of survival. I'm sick of living this week-to-week, day-to-day, holding on for all that I can sort of life. I'm ready to do more. I'm ready to be used by God. I'm ready to be on mission. I'm a missionary, whether I realized it or not, and I got a mission field in my backyard. When I go home later today, I'm on mission. When I go to lunch, I'm on mission. When I go to work, I'm on mission, and I'm ready to thrive, not survive. There's a few things in this story that I want to point out to you. The first one is this, if you want to do more than just survive, if you want to thrive, then you got to stand, right? We saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood. But more specifically, you need to stand in proclamation, not in protest. We're we're getting into it. You might want to take notes today, not because of me, but I'm telling you, this, we're getting into, do you actually want to see results, or do you want to just keep doing the same thing over and over again? Stand, but stand in proclamation, not in protest. Let me explain what I mean. As Christians, I think sometimes we take a very antagonistic approach towards evangelism. Maybe some of you already know what I'm talking about. Because you're, you're newer to church or you're, you're not super familiar with church. And even some of the, the guards that you had with coming to church was because you met a bunch of Christians who could tell you everything that they were against but not anything that they're for. That's what you think Christianity is. That's what you think church is. Just a bunch of people listing a bunch of rules and telling you what you can't do in your life. Honestly, I think we even see it in the way that we, we read scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, like, we read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when you read any good story, you got to know who the protagonist is and who the antagonist is. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? And when we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're searching for the protagonist, right? And I've got to admit, as a kid who's grown up, I know the veggie Tale version. I've read this story my whole life. This is one of the classics of church. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. I grew up thinking the hero of this story was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young men who stood and ended up in the furnace. But you know what I realized? The hero of this story is the fourth man in the fire. And I know that that's like a a tricky pastor thing to do, but it's something that we've got to realize because it's the most important thing in the way we view our own story as well. Because sometimes I think we think we are the hero of our own story as well we think everything in life hinges upon us and we carry this burden we walk around with this main character syndrome thinking we are the hero but the truth is the hero of this story and the hero of your story is the fourth man that was in the fire it is the God that shows up every single time Jesus Christ who paid the price for all of us but if that's the hero then who's the villain who's the villain of this story because I got to admit, I grew up always thinking it was King Nebuchadnezzar. If not King Nebuchadnezzar, then, then maybe it's the soldiers. They are the ones who tied them up and threw them in. If not the soldiers, then it's got to be the Chaldeans, right? They tattletale. These are grown men tattletaling on other, other little boys. Are you kidding me? The Chaldeans got to be the bad You know what I realized? King Nebuchadnezzar, the soldiers... Chaldeans are all just people broken and hurting in need of the truth that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for. Go back and read the story. At no point in the story do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever stand in protest to the king, to the soldiers, or to the Chaldeans. They simply, consistently stand for truth. And there is a difference because I think as Christians, I'm starting to notice this trend where we feel sorry for ourselves. I think a lot of us feel like as Christians, when we look at culture, we feel like we're fighting a losing battle. You turn on the news. you, You open social media. It's easy to get bummed out and feel like you're fighting a losing battle. But I'm here to tell you that is not the truth. Scripture is clear. We serve a God that has already defeated the enemy that is against us. Listen, hear me today. Victory is not something that you fight for. It is a perspective that you fight from. Victory has already been guaranteed. It's not something we contend for or we try for. It's something that we are guaranteed. Put your chest out and your head held high knowing that you are more than a conqueror, that God has already won the battle. But if that's the case, then why do we feel like we're fighting a losing battle? It's because a lot of us are just fighting the wrong battle. We're not fighting a losing battle, but we are fighting the wrong battle. A lot of us are fighting against the very people we should be fighting for. We're wasting our time fighting against The very people that we should be fighting for because they're broken and because they're hurting. We as a church have to stop getting mad at broken people for being broken. We got to stop getting mad at lost people for not having a sense of direction and realize they are not our enemy. They are our goal. Ephesians says it like this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. Let me put it like this. Maybe your time will be better spent on your knees in prayer than on the comment section of Facebook or Instagram. Dude, I I live in Southern California. You've heard about Southern California. It's like the boogeyman in, in these states. You know what I'm saying? In Indiana, I say Southern California, people get goosebumps, right? That's as blue as the blue states go, bro. But you know, Gavin Newsom, our governor, even though I disagree with a majority of the things that he stands for, he's not my enemy. I pray for him. I pray for him because I know that he is a a person who is made in the image of God. And and as much as he he lives his life opposed to that, I know that I've got the answer that he's searching for. And so I'm not going to waste my time fighting against people that I should be fighting for. And I'll just throw this in there, a little grenade I'll drop, some message for another day. But not only are we as a church fighting against people we should be fighting for, sometimes we're fighting against people we should be fighting alongside of. The enemy is wreaking havoc because we're arguing over petty differences with other believers? Are you kidding me? Enough is enough. Now is the time to realize that the the, the goal that we have, the mission that we have is too important. We need to live on mission. We don't need to survive any longer. We got to realize what we're here to do and say, God, use me. I'm going to fight against an enemy that's already been defeated. So I walk with confidence because I'm not fighting a losing battle. So I'm going to stand. But but here's the deal. There's there's a two sides to this coin. The pendulum swings in both directions because I am a part of a generation that in response to not wanting to stand against people in a heart of being empathetic, of not wanting to get canceled, I am the generation that has begun to bow to the idols of culture. You see what I'm saying here? There's a tension that we have to embrace if we want to get good at this. Because I'm telling you, don't fight against people, fight for them. But how do you fight for them? Standing for truth. We have a responsibility as believers to stand for truth, all truth, not just convenient truth. Because hear me, you know how I mentioned earlier Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king liked them? That's because in Daniel chapter 2, they run essentially the same play they do in Daniel chapter 3, they stand out. But the stakes are different. Daniel chapter 2, everybody in Babylon is eating and feasting. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we're going we're to set ourselves apart. We're going to fast. We're going to eat fruits and veggies for 21 days. That's a, have you ever done a Daniel fast before? Bro, when I get to heaven, let, let me tell you this. Dude, when I get to heaven, I, I want to see Jesus. There's some people I want to see. But I'm going to go up and find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they ruined my childhood, okay? Because for the first 21 days in January, my parents would get rid of all the good foods. And all we had was fruits and veggies because these jokers named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided to get froggy thousands of years ago and say we're going to be different. And so we're going to... Fa- obviously, I'm joking. Fasting is amazing. You should do a Daniel fast. But, but here's what I'm saying. They stood out. But in Daniel chapter 2, look what happens. They stand for what they believe in and it leads to promotion. The king promotes them. In Daniel chapter 3, they stand for what they believe in, and it leads to persecution. We have a responsibility as Christians to stand for all truth, not just convenient truth. There are scriptures that are easier to put on your Instagram profile There are scriptures that are easier to crochet on a pillow. There are scriptures that are easier to paint on a live, laugh, love sign that you put over your kitchen. You know what I'm saying? There are scriptures that even culture will celebrate. There are truths about God that even culture can get behind. But we have a responsibility to stand for truth, not just convenient truth. And when you stand up, you will stand out. And you will face some level of persecution. I I guarantee you, you're probably not going to get thrown into a furnace. You don't live in Southern California, right? No, that's not happening yet. But you might get unfollowed. You might get blocked. You might have rumors started about you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never stand against the king, the Chaldeans, or the soldiers. But they never bow. the idols of culture do you understand the balance of this so so then my question is how do we stand in the face of persecution because persecution is something that we will face on some level how do we stand in the face of persecution i'm glad you asked i say to myself you have to have faith and again i know like oh wow thank you so profound You have to have faith, but more specifically, we need to have faith that is rooted in relationship, not results. Faith rooted in relationship, not results. You know, as I was reading through Daniel chapter 3 again, I noticed something that wasn't there. I noticed something that wasn't there. There is not this long list of names of families being thrown into furnaces. You ever notice that? We read about three people being thrown into a furnace named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't read about all the other Israelites who were also taken captive being thrown into furnaces. And I know what you're thinking, what about Daniel? Well, Daniel, scholars and theologians believe he was either on assignment in some other place when this was happening, or the Chaldeans were just so scared of Daniel they didn't mess with him. We know Daniel did not bow because we read about another time, When there's a different decree where he ends up thrown into a lion's den, right? But besides Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where is the list of names? Because I know if there was a list of names to be had, it would be there. Because the Bible, dude, the Old Testament, you ever read the Old Testament? It's basically just a bunch of lists of names, Some books are just lists of... We know that the Bible is not opposed to making long lists. It's one of God's favorite things to do back then. Making long lists and helping old people get pregnant. Top two things God was doing in the Old Testament. So, if there was a list of names to be had, we would be reading about it. And the, the, the lack of a list of names tells me something. That a majority of the nation of Israel did what they always did when they found themselves in captivity bow to the idols of culture. But before, before we're too hard on the nation of Israel, let me give you a little bit of history and context, okay? We know that they lived in a, a polytheistic culture, right? Many gods. Everywhere you went, they had, they had a god of the sun, a god of the river, a god of, the gra- a god of everything, right? Not only was it a polytheistic culture, a widely held cultural belief, something that a lot of people believed. And let me just say this, Just because a lot of people believe something does not make it true. A widely held cultural belief was that gods were limited to regions. So I used to think that like the Egyptians were like, no, our gods are real. And the, the Greeks were like, no, our gods are real. But really, this is what everybody believed. No, my God is real, and so is your God, and we'll worship whatever whatever the God that you think is real is real, and, and, and there are so, I don't think I need to point out the similarities to the culture that we are living in today, where whatever you think is right is right just because you feel that it is, and we all just have to say, yes, your God is your God, and my God is my God, that's not the truth. In fact... When our God introduces himself to us and gives us his name for the first time, Moses is going into Egypt where they had Ra, the God of the sun, and they had the God of the river. And he says, Who, what is your name? What should I tell them? Which God? And he says, tell them I am sent you. Yahweh. I am. Basically, the question of what God, he said, yes, I am the only God. All these other gods are fake. They are counterfeit. They are trying to fill a void that, that they can never fill. I am the answer that they are searching for in the first place. And my name is Yahweh. And so, this is, this is the culture that the nation of Israel goes into. A culture that believed your gods were limited to your region. So, merchants, they would get these many little idols when they would travel places to, to worship the, the God of wherever they were going, right? All of this matters because... The nation of Israel was filled with a lot of people who knew about God. You understand what I'm saying? They knew that God had called them not to bow to any other idols. It's, one of the, it's number two on the Ten Commandments, bro. They would have all known it. But how many of us know, because we've lived long enough in life, that just knowing rules isn't enough? You can know a lot about God, but then when push comes to shove, and when the real world starts to happen, you find yourself in the same place that they were, bowing to the idols of culture. They were not dealing with an ignorance of information. They were dealing with an ignorance of relationship. There is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. We serve a God that doesn't long for us to know about him. And this is what makes him different than any other religion in the world. We serve a God that doesn't want to just have us know about him. He wants to know us in an intimate, personal way, relationship. And we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that. Because everybody else thought God was back in Jerusalem. You see, that's why they, they bowed. They didn't think he wasn't real anymore. They just thought he was back in Jerusalem because they had an ignorance of relationship. And they allowed culture to shape their perspective about God. They allow some 15 second TikTok of somebody that they've never met before to shake their whole faith. And they allow culture to shape their perspective about God. And they said, well, no, no, he's real, he's just still in Jerusalem. And that sounds so silly to us to realize that's how a lot of us live today. We worship God in Jerusalem on a Sunday morning, where the temperature and, and everything is made for, bro, they got the, the, the projectors on the wall saying new things. It's all here. We go to a camp. We go to a conference. Yeah, we're excited about it. But what about when we go to Babylon? I'm, I'm not interested on a Sunday morning. I'm interested on a Monday afternoon. Who are you? Who are you on Thursday? Who are you? What what are you doing? Because a lot of us, it isn't that we stop believing in God. We just limit him to a place. God, I need you to show up on Sunday. But on Monday, we're back bowing to the idols of culture because we thought God's back in Jerusalem. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have relationships. See? How do I know that? Because the king asks him a question. He says, hey, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And it's seven times hotter than it was before. And then what God is going to save you? In Daniel 3.17, they say, be it known to you, O king, the God that we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand. Where are they saying this? In Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have relation. They didn't just know about God. You see, they did not refuse to bow to the idol just because the Bible said so. They had a revelation of who God was. They had an encounter with God that changed everything. Too often, I think, that's how we think we need to respond to temptation. It's like, oh, I just need to know the right thing and do it. But really, it is a revelation of who God was that will transform your perspective on everything in life. An encounter with Jesus will change everything because what happens, is you have a revelation of who God is and you look at an idol and you say why would I bow to that it's man-made it can't do anything for me I'm not going to turn to any substance I'm not going to turn to any relationship I'm not going to turn to the opinion of people who don't even really know who they are because I've had an encounter with God and I've tasted and I've seen that he's good and that he's faithful and that he's able and so in the face of anything you offer me, I won't bow, not just because he said so, but because I know him. And they refuse to bow, be it known to you. that they, they, they trust in what God can do. Remnant church, let me ask you this question. Do you believe in what God can do? Because that's the faith we got to have. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that he's a healer? Do you believe that he's a redeemer? Do you believe that he can restore relationships? I'm telling you, there is a mission field in your backyard, but we can't approach it passively. We could get excited about it this morning, but I'm asking you, do you believe that he can do it? Do you believe that he can transform your family's life? Do you believe that he can transform your workplace? Do you believe he can bring revival on Southern California school campuses? Because we got to have faith to believe that he is who he says he is. I believe in it. I'm believing for healing in my own life. Tyree, me, we're talking about on Thursday. I get ocular migraines just like he does. And it takes my vision out. And it's scary. And especially speaking, it causes anxiety and and things in my life. I'm believing for healing from that. Because I know that God is able. He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. But here's here's the key. We got to have Daniel 3:17 type faith to believe that he can do it. If you want to know what can change the world, Daniel 3:18 type faith. That says, "Yo, but even if he doesn't." But even if he doesn't, But even if he doesn't, you know what? I know he can deliver me. I know he can heal me. I know that he can do it. Hey, but even if he doesn't, I was never chasing results. I was chasing relationship the whole time. We got to be a people that is less interested in seeking the hand of God and is more interested in seeking his face and saying, I'm just his son, I'm just his daughter, and I just long to spend time with him. I don't care about the results. I know he can do it, but even if he doesn't, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. I trust in him regardless. But even if he doesn't. But he did. We know it. Because we, we read the story. They said, but even if he doesn't, and what happens? They go into the furnace, and the king looks in. And he says, one, two, three, four. And there's a fourth man in the furnace. And this is why I bring up this story today. And this is what I think is so powerful, because obviously I'm passionate. Some of you guys, you don't even have to say it after service. I'll say it for everybody. I can tell you're Brandon's cousin there. It's been, it's been said, right? I know. Better hair, but like. um. (laughs) For now. (laughs) But this is what I love about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't compelling, they weren't convincing, they were obedient, they were consistent. What is God looking for? Availability. All he's asking for is for you to be obedient. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all put together. You don't have to have a plan of action because, again, you are not the hero of this story. He is. And this is what I love about a life of obedience is that opportunity always follows obedience. Sometimes we're forcing opportunity in our life. We're trying to Jesus-juke every conversation. You know what I'm talking about? Like a juke in football? You're trying to some of you, you know what I'm talking about because you are the people that any conversation, you're always trying to turn it back to God. And, and like I respect it, but it's like it's it's unnatural at times. It's okay to talk about the weather. It's okay to hear about how people's kids are doing. Walk in obedience, and opportunity follows obedience. You don't have to force this because you can't change anybody's life. You can't heal somebody's body. You can't restore marriage. You can't break addiction. But as you walk in obedience, opportunity follows obedience. And the opportunity that we're searching for is for Jesus to be seen in our lives. Because what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obedience produce? It produces them being in the furnace and a fourth man showing up. This is a Christophany a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Before he ever was born of a virgin and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross and rose again, before that ever happened, there are these glimpses of our Savior in the Old Testament, and Daniel 3 is one of them. It's a Christophany. Jesus was the fourth man in the fire. And the king sees Jesus. And an encounter with Jesus can change everything. You can't change somebody's life, but Jesus can You can't restore someone's marriage, but Jesus can. You can't heal someone's body, but Jesus can. You can't save someone's soul, but Jesus can. And opportunity always follows obedience. And I just want to close with this last story. Because I've seen this happen in Scripture. We see it here in Daniel chapter 3, but you know why I'm passionate about this? Because I've experienced it in life as well. Let me tell you about a girl named Caitlin from La Palma my hometown, my home church. A young lady who, at 12 years old, said, I wanna do more than survive. I wanna do more than attend my junior high. I, I don't wanna just make it through. I wanna be used by God. I wanna, I wanna change the world that I live in. And Caitlin just stood for what she believed in. She stood for truth, not against people. She had faith that was rooted in who God was, not just what he could do. And she walked in obedience day after day. And and guess what? Opportunity always follows obedience. And, And I tell you the story of Caitlin because I'm talking about big, passionate things this morning, right? Change the world. Let's do this. Miraculous things. But I think we miss the miraculous so often in life because it looks so mundane. We're looking for miracles at the front of an altar. We're looking for miracles up on a stage at a conference. But the miraculous can always sometimes look very mundane. And for a young lady named Caitlin, she walked in obedience. And opportunity always follows obedience. And Caitlin met another young lady at school, a girl who was broken, who was hurting, who was in need of the truth that Caitlyn stood for, whether she realized it or not. This friend of Caitlyn's came from a broken home. Her parents were divorced from the time she was a baby. She never knew them together. Not only that, she had a father who struggled with addiction his whole life, and a mom who was in and out of unhealthy, abusive relationships. And because of that, it exposed Caitlyn's friend to every type of abuse you could think of by the time she's 12 in junior high, she's experienced emotional abuse, substance abuse, physical abuse, mental, ab- all of it. 12 years old. And this is who Caitlin meets. Caitlin can't fix her, she can't heal her, she can't save her, but she could be obedient. And opportunity follows obedience. So she just, she began to build a friendship with this young lady. She was true to who she was all along the way. And you know what? Opportunity follows obedience. And one day, Caitlin had an opportunity to invite this friend to church, to La Palma Christian Center. But this is how she did it, because again, the miraculous can look mundane. She said, hey, why don't you come and spend the night at my house on Saturday night? We'll we'll rent movies, we'll paint nails, we'll we'll do do all the the 12-year-old girl things out of sleepover, right? But if you spend the night on Saturday... You gotta come to church with me on Sunday. How mundane. How much do we just brush past what I just said? But watch what that moment of obedience produced because her friend said yes. Because here's what you need to know about people who are living in brokenness and pain. As much as they put up a front all day long, they're longing for what we have. We've got what they're looking for. Just be obedient. And she showed up, and, and it was La Palma Christian Center, it was our church, and how many of you know, it was the Sunday, it's always a Sunday you invite a friend that sister so-and-so decides to, like, get on one, right? And she's running around the church, and she's, she's screaming, and it's like, she gave a message in tongues, and, and even I'm like, oh, man, I feel sorry for Caitlin. But you know what? Her friend not only experienced all that, but she experienced something that day she never experienced before. Community. But deeper than that, truth, grace, mercy, hope, love, life. And I love to give like the missionary message to say, in that day she walked forward and gave her heart to but that's not how it happened. But a seed was planted. And and Caitlin's friend was intrigued. She actually started coming to youth group, right? And and at youth group, we were going to youth convention. And Caitlyn's friend didn't have parents who believed in the investment of youth convention. They were wasting their money on drugs and other things, but she had surrogate moms and dads and aunts and uncles, just like Sam grew up with here at Remnant Church. People who say, yo, I'm going to believe in you, and I'm going to invest in you, and I'm going to pour into you. And they paid for her to go to youth convention, and at youth convention, the fruition of prayers that were prayed by people that she had never even met came true. And Caitlyn's friend got saved at youth convention at 12 years old. And she went to summer camp and she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Caitlin's friend's life was changed forever as a junior higher. And she spent her whole junior high and high school life not going down the road of her parents or her siblings. She didn't just survive, she thrived. She started bringing friends to the youth group. Statistically speaking, Caitlin's friend should have been addicted to drugs just like her dad. She should have been in and out of abusive relationships like her mom. She should have been pregnant as a teenager because that's what happened to her mom and to her older sister and to her aunt and even to her grandma. Because the real enemy that we fight against doesn't fight fair, but let me tell you again, he's already been defeated. And so the obedience of one young lady named Caitlin transformed all of that. And not only did she not become a statistic, not only did she not give up on her life and end her story in high school, she went on to reach people and serve God and never, never bow to the idols that culture was offering. And she graduated and, and she started serving in the church and serving in the youth ministry. And about the time she started serving as a youth leader, I came back home and I became the youth pastor. And we started hanging out, and we started talking, and we started dating, and then we got engaged, and then we got married, and then we had kids. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've seen it in scripture. But my wife, Tanner, my wife, Tanner, is a testimony of what obedience can produce. And my son, Sawyer in Dallas, will never know the pain that she knew as a kid. They won't live with what she lived with. There were things that ran in her family until it ran into her. Generational curses were broken with her. Man, I think of opportunity follows obedience. Miraculous things can look mundane. I think of a woman who, who could sing, and she had a son and three daughters who could sing, too. And she started taking them and traveling to churches and, and singing all over the place. And, and then her son's best friend lost his mom at, at 15. And she said, well, why don't you come and sing with us? They started traveling and singing all along, not, not 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 being fixed, not being whole. And one night, in November, after singing out of church like they always had, her son and his best friend went back to the apartment that they were at and were gonna do what they had always done. They were gonna go and smoke weed that they had bought from their older sister and her husband who were selling drugs all across Terre Haute, Indiana. And getting ready To light that joint in a smoke-filled apartment, they had an encounter with God that changed everything for them. And little did they know that across town, his little sister, who was dating his best friend, also had an encounter with God. And I'm telling you, the ripple effects of obedience are still being felt to this day. For years, Tanner and I have been praying for her parents, and just A couple months back, we dedicated my son Dallas at my dad's church, and Tanner's parents don't go to church, but they'll show up for their grandkids, and they showed up that day, and they watched Dallas get dedicated, and then I preached the message just like this, and I ended it by saying, hey, if you're here and and you're ready to stop settling for second best. You're ready to stop trying to, to be someone you're not. You're ready to stop bowing to idols that will never answer your prayers and, and you want to accept the free gift that God has given. You want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, which is what you were created for in the first place. All you got to do is lift your hand and you want to know what? Both her mom and dad raised their hand that day. And I say that, I say that because the ripple effects of one 12-year-old girl named Caitlin Being obedient are still being felt to this day because opportunity always follows obedience. We got to live lives of obedience. We got to live on mission. We got to do more than survive because you don't know what's at stake. The generations that are to come, the lives that are going to be impacted forever because of your simple obedience, don't miss the miraculous because it might look a little mundane everybody can just close their eyes I just want to ask this question if you're here today and you say yeah just like the word of God says today is the day of salvation you know what I've been been settling for second best too long I've been looking for fulfillment in in substance, in relationship, in promotion, in in followers in, in everything else except for the one thing that can actually produce it in my life And I'm ready, I'm ready to lay myself down in all my brokenness, in all my hurt, in all my pain. I'm ready, because it's the beauty. All that God is asking for is your obedience today. The obedience that we're talking about starts right now in this moment with you saying, God, I give you everything. Not part of me, not a piece of me anymore. God, you are not a part of my life. Today is the day where once and for all I settle it. And I say, I give you everything, God. If that's you with nobody looking around, I just want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Yeah, all across this place. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. This is about you and God. Word of God is clear. He says, Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. So that's what we're going to do together, Remnant Church, and we're going to do it as a family. So I want all of us to repeat this prayer together Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a Savior. I give you all of me the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the things no one else knows about. I'm yours. Save me, but use me. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I confess that you are Lord, and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we make some noise, everybody, for the people who have made that decision, the best decision of their lives? And here's the last thing that I'll ask as as we close. We're going to sing one more worship song, and then we'll we'll head out. We'll get lunch. I know the owner of the place I'm having lunch, so we'll be all right, but before we do, I just want to ask this question to everybody. Whether you made that decision right now or you've been serving God for a while, if you would say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to do more than survive. I'm ready to thrive. I'm ready to be used to live on mission, to not settle for making it any longer. I want to stand for truth, not against people, because I want to see people come to know the same God that I've known. So I stand for truth, not against people. I got faith rooted in relationship, not results. I know that God is able, but I trust in who he is, and I will walk in obedience. Because opportunity follows obedience. If that's you and you say, yeah, I'm ready for that, I just want you to stand all across this place as we worship God together.